Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tron Conquest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz. Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Ow! Hello and welcome to the Talk House Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. On this week's episode, we've got a couple of fantastic songwriters from the indie rock world, Kenny Becker and Doug March. March, I'm guessing our listeners will know as the chief songwriter and sole consistent member of Built to Spill, the band that made Boise, Idaho famous. Built to Spill has been an ongoing concern since the early 1990s, releasing a ton of great albums at a fairly leisurely pace, including stone classics like There's Nothing Wrong with Love and Keep It Like a Secret. The Built to Spill lineup has mutated a bunch of times over the years, and that's never been more true than for the genesis of their latest album, When the Wind Forgets Your Name. Writing and recording the album was done with members of the Brazilian band Arua, but the latest live lineup features March alongside a pair of incredibly talented young women from up-and-coming bands, Prism Bitches Teresa Esquera and Blood Lemon's Melanie Radford. They bring a new energy to this storied band. Check out a little bit of Fool's Gold from When the Wind Forgets Your Name. Goon has a much shorter history than Built to Spill, having really started as Kenny Becker's solo project around 2015. Along with some college friends, Becker recorded Goon's dreamy debut album, Heaven is Humming. But that lineup was slowly lost to attrition, and now, like March, Becker has an entirely new set of players alongside a brand new album, Hour of Green Evening. This new one was recorded in a more band-like setting, as you'll hear in this chat, and Becker even has some help from Alex Fischel of Spoon. Check out a little bit of the sweet and tender Emily Says from that new record. In this chat, Becker and March talk about album artwork, both have really great stories. They talk about recording in a studio versus recording at home, about finding those eureka moments in the studio. They talk about Built to Spill's recent cover of a Kate LeVon song, and they talk about getting musical ideas from TikTok, among many other things. Enjoy. Are you, uh, are you living in Boise now, or...? I'm living in Portland now. It was there all summer for the first time, and now, and now I'm in Boise at an Airbnb for a couple of days, waiting to hit the road. Nice. So we kind of have. I can't actually remember how we met Prism Bitch. I think we just like became like internet friends or something. Hmm. But like we were like messaging with them in probably like January of 2020 about like, hey, we should totally play a show together. And then I think we like even had one potentially booked for April of 2020. And then, of course, that never happened. Hmm. But then fast forward to like 
I guess it must have been February of this year. We were crazily playing with Spoon at the Echo upstairs, and you guys were playing downstairs with Prison Bitch at the Echo Plex. And during sound check, we heard, we're like, oh shit, like, built to spill the sound checking downstairs. Like, and then I guess Prison Bitch heard, oh my God, Spoon sound checking upstairs. So, like, <laughs> we like literally like crossed paths. And so we like were able to meet for the first time, like face to face. And then, then we ended up actually playing with them together, like, I think like a month or so later. But that was like a cool sort of serendipitous thing. Yes. One of them told us to go check y'all out. Oh, that's sick. And we managed to catch uh, the end of your set, which we enjoyed. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, we, we did the same. We came down and watched the end of yours. I love that Kate LeBon cover. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's a weird song. It feels like uh, if I kind of just stumbled into it through Spotify. One of the few good things that Spotify has done. It's, it's, it's found a few weird, cool things for me Yeah. somehow. The algorithm seemed to like work pretty well, and I found a lot of cool stuff for a while, and then it just petered out and just keeps spitting the same stuff out at me. Yep. But it seems like a lot of people got stumbled into that song. I was surprised at how many people. When I mentioned doing it, Mel, our bass player, was super psyched. She, she had just discovered it as well. And then every show we play, it feels like most people don't know what it is. And then after the mm. show, there's a handful of people that are really excited to have heard it. Yeah, I'm very familiar with that song. But in the moment, I was just like, oh, this is like... This just must be one of those built to spill songs that sounds so familiar, but I like can't remember what the name of it is. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh shit, no, it's like that Kate LeBon track. Do you find that it's hard to listen to like music that isn't yours while you're writing? Yeah, yeah, a little bit of that. A little bit of you don't want to take too much from other people or you wanna you don't wanna be discouraged by how good other people are. There's a little bit of that that happens to me. I try to stay focused on. But I haven't written songs in so long. I've just been listening to a lot of music for a while now, or a lot of the same music over and over again. What about you? Well, the album that we just put out was definitely in the process of making that. It was like, I tried to... Well, it's not like I even tried to. I think it just kind of happened that I sort of, you know, listened to those songs over and over and over, and that's like all I'm thinking about. And if I bring in other new stuff, it kind of like, yeah, it immediately, I think like I'm comparing, I'm not like really enjoying it or something, you know? Mm -hmm. But now that that's been like finished for a while, it's been really fun to like, yeah, kind of get back into just listening to all kinds of stuff again. I mean, to, to me, it seems like there's no reason why you shouldn't listen to other stuff and be influenced and be pushed harder. And you know, you get ideas, even steal little ideas like, because you're, you know, you can steal an idea in a basic way that's like, oh, yeah, it'd be cool to have. Like, I love this little ooh that happens here. And then you put it in your song, completely different. And you're not really stealing it from them because it's just a musical thing. Absolutely. And also the intimidation of hearing people play better than you, that only just pushes you a little harder, you know, makes you play better, I would think. So you should start listening to more other music when we're writing songs. I wonder if you do this too, because you mentioned, so you haven't, you feel like you haven't written new songs in a while. Because this is like y'all's new record since like 2016 or 15 or something. Mm -hmm. So is, is this that like, these are like kind of like the new songs that you've written since then, more or less? Yeah, well, even a couple, few of these songs are from then. Like, that's sick. There's a couple of them that didn't make it onto that record. 
maybe even something that didn't make it onto the record before that, like, uh, you know, some things that tried a few times. Yeah. And then just stuff, you know, right after we made that record, we were in a pretty creative period. I was writing stuff and then just got into, you know, touring and other things in life and switching the band up, all these things kind of happened. And then, you know, we recorded the record, the basic tracks over two years ago, and just finishing it up and the time that it takes for the record label to release it. So all that time just kind of adds up. But in the last few years, I really haven't written much. I have a few things laying around that I just need to come up with some lyrics for mostly. Do you typically do lyrics last? Like it's just like, chords and stuff and then yeah i think most people do i jot down the lyric idea here or there but i'm not any kind of writer do you have a notebook of lyrics like yes but only because of the i like it almost becomes like a like a word problem or puzzle or something because mm-hmm. it's like okay i like this singing melody and i like ending it with like a ah or an ooh so i know it wants to end with that vowel shape and then i have like five syllables to get there or something so i don't know i wish i was uh i wish i was a poet well i think it's kind of cool not to be like too cliche or whatever but the whole thing about if there's like a block of marble that like the statue or the sculpture is inside it already it's your job as the sculptor to like find it or whatever it seems like the best songs you've ever heard when you hear about how they were written those are the songs that the people just sat down with the guitar and they just flowed right out of them from beginning to end and that might be a little bit of an exaggeration right but i do believe that happens i believe that some people have that ability and have that in them and the songs kind of do that but i've never experienced that so really so yeah i mean you know I might like come up with a melody in a moment and even come to a chord change, you know, but coming up with a song like that, I believe that people can do it. I believe that it can flow out of someone like that. Totally. And I, and I mean, I enjoy the process too of thinking about it and kicking it around and trying out different ideas. You can always find a little better way to do it. Editing is kind of like where you really get stuff done. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the coolest move is deleting like big chunks of things or like, you know, tracking way too many guitars and other stuff. And it's like in the moment, it's really cool to be adding each of these individual elements. And then you get to like the end and you're like, what if we just delete like five of those just for this part? Yeah, I do that. Yeah, definitely. All the time. That's my method of making records is just adding tons of stuff, trying, throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall and then seeing what sticks. And, you know, you go, I go back and like, well, this, there's a lot of cool stuff in here that I could eat. You know, oh, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. There's always an abundance of cool stuff. You just have to choose which to like highlight. And you think about it and you're like, well, there's a reason why I didn't use this, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe it sounds cool right now, but when I listened to it 10 times, it sounded less cool. You know, maybe it's cool to me again on this first listen, but let's get rid of it. If I'm not 100% sure of it, I need to get rid of it. Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the Talk House podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of TalkHouse is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. 
For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. How did you meet Teresa? I saw Prison Bitch at Treefort 2000. 18? Cool. Maybe maybe 17? I think 18. Yeah. Nelson was in the band at the time, and he had a Caustic Resin shirt on. Oh, nice. So I knew there was some kind of connection. And then we were, went on tour, and they offered to open for us, or I asked them to open for us or something, Albuquerque. Nice. And then uh, the Albuquerque show... We just really hit it off. Like, I thought their show was really great when I saw them at, in, at Treefort. I thought they were, like, so fun and funny and just, you know, loved them. Thought they were so great. But then when I saw them in Albuquerque, I was like, well, these guys have some pretty cool songs, too. It's not just a fun thing. Yeah. I feel like when you meet other bands, even if they're really cool and, like, great people, there can sometimes be that initial phase where you're kind of, like, checking each other out a little bit or something or, like, not sure, you know, maybe it's like you guys just haven't warmed up to each other yet or something. But like with them, they're, it, was, it just felt like they were like so like down and just like optimistic and just like really fun, great, happy people that felt like we just, you know, knew each other for a really long time. And we're, we were like, even after that one night, we were like really sad that they were leaving. <laughs> totally. They're really charming folks. And that kind of energy is I don't know. It's pretty rare, especially in a, in, in a good band. Yeah. You know, completely unpretentious. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so we had them open for some Tree People shows. Nice. And then we did some Built Spill shows. And then we had like a pretty long run with them in 2019, like a few weeks or something. And that's when I was like, started to really appreciate how good Teresa was. Yeah. And at the end of that tour is when I asked her to join. Mel and I were playing with this guy, this, this bossy guy, Lewis, who's really great. But I just, I, I thought it'd be cool to have a couple of women. I felt kind of weird. Mel being the only woman felt, felt a little weird too. Yeah. And so and she's like really young and stuff. I thought it'd be nice for her to have a, a companion. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I was kind of on the lookout for a, a woman drummer anyway. And I thought Teresa would be cool, and she's uh, unbelievable. They both are just better than I even imagined. I thought they'd be great, but they're, like, unbelievable. Yeah, I would agree after seeing y'all that one night. Oh, thanks. What about your band? How, how did you all meet each other? 
So this is sort of a newer-ish lineup, but the first iteration we met all in college together and then gradually kind of those original members all kind of just, you know, classic band stuff where they sort of wanted more settled jobs and whatnot, have kids and all that. So Andy Polito, our drummer, he's like the oldest new member. So he, he joined in like 2018. And Dylan on guitar joined in 2019. And then Tamara on bass at the end of 2019. And honestly, I've met all of them through just like LA music friends and friends of friends and stuff. So like we've had basically solidified this current lineup right before the pandemic hit. I think it ended up being kind of a cool, interesting timing thing. Like we never got to play a show as the four of us until like late last year. So we had all the time leading up to that to just sort of like, I guess like kind of incubate and jam. And we ended up making this latest record. What else should we talk about? <laughs> yeah, is there like a, a, little, a little awkward break? I don't mind the awkwardness if you don't. No, I absolutely don't. Um, do you like Pinback? Is that the heavy vegetable guy? Yeah, yeah, Rob Crow. Yeah, Rob. Yeah, you know what? I met him in that band like a long time when I worked at a, at a bar here in Boise and they, they came and played a couple times. I always liked him, liked his music. I just don't listen to much, I don't listen to much alternative rock or, <laughs> yeah. rock or whatever. There's this kind of emotional quality to his singing melodies and stuff. It's something about it, like it, it kind of hits the same way that I feel like yours do to me. It could be the fact that he sings even in like a similar register as you, but it, there's something just like weirdly like kind of quiet about it, but it also feels loud at the same time. I've seen a lot of their shirts at our shows. Oh, nice. Yeah, I could see there being a crossover fanship or something. I just saw a good San Diego band, The Sacred Souls. You know that? Oh, I don't. We just played at Pickathon. They played. It's like a soul band. Is it with two E's? I think it is. Yeah. I listened to soul music and reggae music for, for a long time. So, yeah. I still listen to some other things, but, you know, mostly friends' bands and stuff and things that I grew up with. I don't explore music very much. Lately, I've been getting musical ideas from TikTok. Mm hmm. There's this one guy, I'm totally blanking on his name, but he just posts like neo-soul piano chord progressions. And it's really cool because there's like the MIDI keyboard is on the screen. So like whatever keys he plays, they like light up and you can just see exactly what chords he's playing. Mm -hmm. It's been really fun. So I never think about using like sixes and like minor sevens. Those have kind of been chords that I've been messing around with more thanks to this guy. I don't know what sixes are. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I, it's just like the interval of adding like the sixth in, which is like... Is it like if you played a C chord and left your index finger up? Is that a six? So instead of C, it would be a B? Uh, I think that might be a seven. I'm really not that good at that stuff. You know, a little tiny bit of music theory. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> 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 I'm gonna try to figure out what a six is when they get off get off this zoom. Yeah, they're really like they like don't sound super great by themselves. They sort of like make you want to go 
somewhere else with it. Gotcha. But yeah. Uh, you draw, right? I sometimes I draw. Do you paint ever? A little did a little bit. I was an artist growing up and then since I got into music, I every once in a while get into a little bit of it for a while. But what about you? Yeah, I like to paint and draw too. I like kind of like got back into like painting like landscapes like outside during the pandemic 2020 and into 2021 ended up being a really great time to kind of get back into it because it's just the solitary, you know, kind of thing. So yeah, I love that. But I, I feel kind of similarly about when we were talking about like listening to other people where it's like listening to other people's music or whatever and feeling kind of like damn, everyone's so much better than me, you know? But I try to just like, I don't know, do it for the enjoyment of it and not, you know, bring those things into it too much. I had a a feeling like that a lot when I was growing up. And then I had a thing a few years ago where a friend of mine started drawing, wasn't good, and but I loved everything he did. And that just like freed me up so much. Mm. And just that, you know, you know what drawings don't you like you know right it's like the weirdest crappiest drawings are are the, kind of the best i guess someone said that too like uh it's like the things you don't know how to do are the things that like are your def- define your style you know that's really interesting that reminds me of like i feel like it was in like a david bowie interview where he like mentioned something about kind of like if you go into the studio and you like, if you like know exactly why it's going to be good and how it's going to be good, it's probably not going to actually be that good. But you kind of have to be like right in the part of the swimming pool where your feet, you're not like totally off the ground, but like your feet are just barely starting to not touch the floor anymore. And like that's when you're in the position to actually do something interesting. You have to be prepared. You have to have some songs and stuff. But you need some you know, leeway as far as what direction things will go and what, what you know, to make it any, even any fun for yourself. So you have any eureka moments in the studio. It's not just work. It's not just laying down the tracks. It's like just having some discovery and stuff when you're there. And also not being so, not being so sure of what you want to do that you're just frustrated trying to find this exact thing and do it this exact mm. way. And you're just so frustrated by it. If you don't have this vision in your head so complete, then you can let things go. Totally. Yeah, it's funny, like, when you go in with such a strong vision like that, it is very just frustrating, mostly. And, like, at the end of the day, people will, like, you know, if there's drums, they're going to hear drums. They're not going to, like, hear that you mic'd it in this, like, meticulously, you know, way that you totally burnt yourself out on. Yeah, I feel like I wasted a lot of energy on that stuff, you know, through my career. Really? Especially when I was younger. I can't think of any drums I've ever heard and thought, oh, those drums sound stupid. Right. If they're played cool, it's in a cool song. They all, you know, everything. It's like, it all sounds good if it's if it's uh, <laughs> yeah. some sort of, you know, some sort of soul or some sort of... I, I, I heard recently stuff about uh, Bob Dylan being really just like... Just like, let's just get this shit done. Mm. And you can kind of hear that. Like sometimes sometimes with this stuff, it feels a little bit thrown together, but it's killer, you know? It doesn't matter that it's thrown together. It's just so good. And, you know, maybe it's not as instrumentally intriguing as 
the Beatles or something. It's kind of like the concept of like finished is better than perfect. When I was younger, I was really focused on what I thought was good about music. And I probably did think those drums sound stupid a lot <laughs> back then. Whereas now I'm really open to kind of anything making sense musically. I think as a young person, I think you identify so much with music. Yeah. You're just not open to identifying with so many things. Like you want to identify with something that's, that's specific. I think our first record kind of suffered from that. I do think it's maybe something you kind of have to like, you just have to work through that. It has its place and does get some things done too. Yeah. That attitude. But it definitely can contribute to an album taking like, you know, three years when you could have done it in two months. But a lot of it too is like what you said, it's this puzzle and you just keep working on it. And it doesn't really matter if something sounds better than something else. It just, it has to like click in you for some reason, whether or not it's a real reason. Yeah. You know, sometimes like a song, so you come up with a chord progression or something and it's like, uh, sometimes just the shape of the fingers of the chord are what, are what make you love it. You know, I yeah. love, you know, maybe someone listening to it, it's like, doesn't sound any special that way. It might sound better if you just played regular bar chords, but these, the shapes of your, you know, the, these little subtle things, little puzzles that you do with yourself or what kind of you end up latching onto as a human being. Yeah. Like those little impulses for things that you like. I actually got this sense watching um, the Get Back thing, the Beatles thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, it's so cool to see them kind of work through these songs that are now legendary. But it's just such a testament to the fact that, like, any any song that could be legendary still starts out as a tiny, like, seed or... And even, like you said, if you can't quite explain why you're drawn to it, it's like, maybe it's just the way my fingers are on the fretboard. It's still worth, like sort of defending it from people who might want to steer it a different way or something. Totally. Or, you know, there's been a lot of times where I've had something and I've had that good feeling about it. And then, you know, months later, you know, I'm not feeling it or something. And I go back to the original idea, recording of it or something. Oh, it's, you know, it's like the rhythm was just a slightly different and that's what made it cool. It's easy to like overwork, I guess. I also think like there's kind of a magic that happens in like the first take that maybe this is kind of the same thing of what we were already saying, but like, I feel like my tendency several years ago was your first take is basically a practice. Like you delete it no matter what, you know, you're just like working through it or whatever. But then you, you know, five takes in, you realize that you're just trying to recreate what was kind of weird and cool about that first take. Yeah. And you're also by the fifth take, you're like, you know, I, I don't want to I don't want to put the, yeah. the, the engineer through this song anymore. This time I got to get serious. Whereas the first thing you're like, this doesn't fucking matter. This is just warm up, you know? Yeah. Play a little more naturally. There's, there's a lot of mind games that go on in this studio when you're trying to make music. I think I did. You record this album in like Brazil. Did I read that? Uh, no, it all got recorded here. So, oh, okay. The Brazilians, we toured with the Brazilians in 19, and then in, at the end of the tour, they recorded drums and bass 
and went, went home. And then I finished it by, by myself here. And we, cool. I, the plan was to go to Brazil or maybe here, but mostly the plan was to go to Brazil and finish it up in their studio. And that just wasn't a possibility anymore. Did you end up tracking it like live for the most part? And, or, or was it like kind of a mix? We tracked live, but I didn't use much guitar. I used a tiny bit of my guitar, almost nothing. So basically, and then and then they actually ended up redoing all the bass. After I added added all the guitars and vocals, they redid the bass to fit in some better ways. So that's cool. It's really just pieced together, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I love doing that. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I, I mean, I have mixed feelings about. It. I I love that you can do it. Mm-hmm. Now that we have the technology to do it. It is the first record that we recorded on a computer, and uh, and the plan, the plan was to to do it by myself on my computer, even before the pandemic. So you know, as far as stuff like that working out, that was that worked out okay. But working alone is not very fun. I'm not much of an engineer. Right. It really mostly felt just like kind of getting getting work done more than joyful music making. Our first album was like totally not done in a studio. And by the end of it, I was just like, this is like, why? Just done at home. Yeah, it was so like kind of pieced together over a couple of years. And, you know, we wanted it to be all, you know, ambitious and whatever. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm ultimately I'm happy with how it came out. But like, I can't help but have all those feelings of like, I guess just like everything I learned from it, you know, but like sort of learned the hard way, like like kind of what we were talking about earlier. So then this this record that we just put out was like totally, you know, tracked it live. And then we did a, a bunch of overdubs and stuff too, but it was like a studio creation. And that was really fun. But now I kind of want to go back to like trying to do it ourselves, but with all the kind of accumulated knowledge. I definitely want to go to a studio next time because I <laughs> yeah. burn out on that. But yeah, and then did you start thinking about it would be fun to really spend some time with this stuff and do exactly what I want to do, you know, not have to worry about people, engineers sitting around waiting for me to make a good take. So yeah. I definitely swing back and forth. And I think the hybrid is, is the ideal situation because I love being in a recording studio, you know, I think it's so fun, just the energy and just the, you feel like, you know, just feels so cool to be, yeah. <laughs> be there uh, hanging it out is. all day you know, just the way it looks, the aesthetics of it, mm -hmm. everything about it, I think is just, just a blast. Um, but then at the same time, I'm not always prepared. You know, some days I go in the studio, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing today. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't have any ideas and I'm paying for the studio all day. It's as fun as it is. Yeah. Drink coffee and chit chat. <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. I probably should just be at home, like writing parts or something. <laughs> I think a hybrid's a, a good solution. I could see us doing something like that because you really can't recreate that feeling in your own, even in your like rehearsal space. I definitely knew I wanted to like paint the album art for the record, but like I didn't know that the record would be called Hour of Green Evening or that the album art would be that until we had already totally finished the record. And that was kind of on purpose. I wanted to like be able to like react to like what we've done sort of. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's like the red ladder kind of image that I don't know, and just sort of like popped in my head one day as like a cool 
concept of like, I don't know, I was kind of like interested in like thinking about like transitional spaces, both times of day between sunset and when it's dark, that weird like twilight time, transitional like there, and then also like a ladder seemed weirdly symbolic of that because you don't really spend time on a ladder, I guess, unless you're like cleaning gutters or something, but it's kind of a transitional thing. Like you get, use it from one place to another. So I don't know. And I guess extrapolating on that further, I was thinking about how like these fleeting transitional times of day are, it's that, that fleetingness is true of all aspects of life at any time, even when it feels permanent or something. So I don't know. That was kind of like where I was coming from with it. I really love the new album art for the Built to Spill record. I love that concept of the of the fleeting twilight because that's that is like the most fleeting time of day. I remember just as a kid, like it felt like that time was like uh, where you really did know that time was passing. You know? Yeah. You have a time of the day where like maybe you've been playing with your friends and stuff and whatever had been going on. It almost felt like around that time, like you'd really gotten your whatever you were playing to be really fun. And you, Dude. and you knew that it was about to be over. Yes. Right when it reached its prime. And it feels that way. It felt that way at Pickathon, you know, the other day. It's it's like such a weird time of like, uh, like shit, this is a blast and it's going to be over in a minute. Yeah. The childhood aspect of it was completely my reference point for it as well. That feeling of like, yeah, you're outside playing with your friends and all of a sudden everything just kind of like turns blue, sort of. And you're just like, oh, shit, like, I'm going to have to go inside soon. And that, that's such a weird feeling. It's so, like, kind of makes you, like, want to cry or something, you know? <laughs> um, well, for our record cover, I had the title. It was from a lyric in the song, when, when the Wind Forgets Your Name. And I thought it was a nice title. I was proud of it, but I also thought it was a little pretentious <laughs> and uh, a little embarrassed about it, too. And I started just looking through Instagram for artists' art. I kind of wanted to have a woman do the artwork. I don't know why. And then, and I then I discovered Alex Graham's comic online, Dog Biscuits, and I loved it. Thought it was great. And then she had some paintings, but I wasn't really a big fan of her paintings. Mm. Um, they were almost just a little too awkward looking to me. But I did think that it would be a cool thing to have some colorful silliness to yeah. offset that serious title. And I was just so in love with her comic. So I reached out to her and she was cool and up for doing it. And there was there was a couple of paintings. There was a painting that was part of uh, that she had just done that was part of a comic. And I was like, I love that painting. Can you do something mm. kind of in the vein of that? I even told her that I didn't didn't uh, like i thought her paintings were kind of awkward mm -hmm. <laughs> she knows she, she knows what she's doing sure they're awkward on purpose yeah but i wanted something a little smoother than that and so anyway she she was cool she would sent over sketches and asked me if i want anything and i just kept saying do whatever you want to do one thing i did ask her to do was to make a comic i wanted to have a gate hold with a comic and she decided how to you know plot it out and and it is, it's kind of like a, it's a wordless comic that incorporates the creature on the cover. And then on the back of back cover, there's a drawing, that she, a painting that she did of the band. that's really beautiful. And that, that one, I, I sent her the photo and asked her to paint that photo. Awesome. And, uh, and then in the, the record sleeve, one side is the very first sketch of the album cover. 
And the other side is a, a mock-up of the album cover all in marker instead of paint. Love those like early stages of things. I guess kind of like what we were saying earlier about like being drawn to that original demo or whatever. Yeah. Like, there's always some magic in that when it's coming together, but still a little formless. I'm a big comic book person. I always love just the pencil drawing. I probably like pencil drawings more than the finished ink stuff. I mean, some people ink in a way kind of raw and you know, but I almost feel like inking stuff makes it too smooth and nice. And I, mm. I love inking stuff myself in my own drawings, but I, I know that it takes away from it too. Yep, same. It was really great talking to you, Doug. I'll see you around. Yeah, definitely. Thanks again for doing this. Yeah, you too. Thanks for listening to the Talkhouse podcast, and thanks to Doug March and Kenny Becker for chatting. If you like what you heard, please follow TalkHouse on your favorite podcasting platform and check out all of the other TalkHouse Network shows and written pieces at TalkHouse.com. This episode was produced by Myron Kaplan, and the TalkHouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.